0: Uh, well, today we're, we're jumping back into uh, the Gospel of John, and um, it's an awesome story we're going to be getting into. Uh, we're really at the very beginning of seeing the ministry of Jesus. When Jesus first came to the earth, well, he'd uh, grown up to about 30 years old, living in uh, a little town called Nazareth, uh, and now he's starting to kind of emerge as this teacher. Up until this point, uh, those first 30 years, he's, he's, he's just a, a regular old guy. He's just this obscure figure from this Little 200-person village uh, in Nazareth. So, uh, and in this story today, he's going to be calling, kind of meeting, and asking his first followers to come follow him, uh, to come uh, observe his teaching, his ministry. Uh, they're being introduced to him for the first time. And I want to, I want you to even think about, uh, as I was thinking about a lot this week as I was preparing for this. Uh, do you remember the first time that? God really first grabbed your attention Uh, when that name, that person, Jesus, uh, became a little bit more forefront uh, in your mind. Uh, That name Jesus went from being something kind of foreign that you wouldn't really say that often, but now all of a sudden there's some intrigue behind it. There's something about hearing that. It still may be a little awkward to say, but you start being drawn to that name a little bit more. Uh, Chances are, like the guys we're going to see in the story today, uh, you weren't quite expecting it. Uh, It just kind of came upon you. Something maybe happened in your life that caused you to pause and think about things. Maybe something just happened in your heart. All of a sudden, your attention was being drawn. Something got you thinking. Or maybe it just was totally out of the blue. It wasn't an event in your life, but just all of a sudden, you're starting to just wonder about God and who Jesus is, whatever it might be. But chances are, you didn't just sit down one day and just say, I think I'm just going to think about God a bit more. Chances are, something started drawing you. God usually shows up in your life, oftentimes when you least expect it. Maybe life is going just fine. You feel like you kind of got a handle on how you live your life. Obviously, things happen. I mean, we're in a situation now we have never been in before, uh, but you kind of have you know, your life sort of uh, going and you kind of know how to do what you do. And then all of a sudden, somehow, or maybe through someone or something, you're introduced to this name, Jesus. You've heard the name before, of course, but somehow something has come along to actually bring you kind of face-to-face with him, so to speak, in a way that you never had before. And so I want to pray now as we jump into, we're going to be in John chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, verse thirty-five, going to the end of the chapter. But I want to pray, and I want to ask the Lord to, first of all, for those of you who already you know Jesus, you've been following Him. I, I, I'm hoping that today is kind of like a, a walk down memory lane, so to speak. I think sometimes we need that. Um, you know, even as we were, um, you know, saying earlier to, this morning already, uh, sometimes we lose focus, as Ian was talking about. We kind of have all these distractions, and we can easily kind of forget kind of the main thing. And so I'm hoping that for this morning, for those of you who already you know Jesus, you've been following him for uh, many months or many years, I hope today as we go down kind of memory lane a little bit, you're sort of reminded. It's kind of like, you know, when you have an anniversary or when you, have a, uh, you go on a, a date night with your wife and you kind of reminisce about kind of the old times, it sort of rekindles something for you. So I hope that for you that this kind of maybe does that today. And then for also, maybe for some of you who don't yet know Jesus, or maybe you're at the beginning of this sort of sort of meeting him for the first time, hearing about him. Uh, maybe you're tuning in for the first time, you're curious about him. Maybe this coronavirus thing has kind of gotten you to, to ponder life a bit more. And so I hope that even today, this sort of helps you sort of navigate and take those sort of little baby steps one by one, uh, as uh, hopefully this maybe even gives you a little bl- blueprint as we see these guys in the story their first steps even towards Jesus. So let's pray and ask the Lord just to lead us and guide us today. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are indeed a God who is loving and in control of all things. We know that you do have a a plan for everything, everything good and everything bad that comes into life. We know, we believe, because your word shows us this, that you work all things for good for those that love you, that your purposes will be served somehow, Though we don't understand it. We're, we're human, we're finite. We live on this earth for 70, 80 years, and we presume that we can kind of figure it all out, whereas you're eternal, and so we ought to trust that you are more wise and have a, a, a bigger picture view than we do. But that doesn't stop us from still thinking that we know better and that we have this thing figured out. And, and so we're asking today that you would help us to humble ourselves and um, walk by, by faith and not by sight. So as we see in your word, these first few men that are going to be called to follow you Help us even put ourselves in those shoes, remind ourselves of what life was like when we first started following you, or for those that haven't yet, that hopefully they even see a bit of a a mirror reflection of themselves in these men. Lord, would you draw all of us, all of us who are watching today, would you draw all of us closer to you? Holy Spirit, lead us and guide us in your word today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So John chapter 1, verse 35. I'm just going to read the first uh, few verses here, and then we'll read more a little bit later. It says, the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. This is John the Baptist. And uh, he looked at Jesus as Jesus walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Now, the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following, and he said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, Where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you'll see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Peter uh, and Andrew, the first apostles. He first found his own brother Simon, and he said to him, we've found the Messiah, which means Christ, the Savior. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, so you are Simon, the son of John? You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now, as we open up the story, we're still down at the baptismal site near Jericho, and as I read this, I, I can't help but actually kind of get maybe a sort of comedic picture of what's going on here. Uh, Jesus is walking along and these two guys are kind of following him, kind of tailing him, you know, a little bit behind. They don't want Jesus to notice. They're trying to be a little nonchalant about it. Uh, don't want him to really notice. They're just trying to make, they want to find out where he's going, almost like stalking him in a way. And every time Jesus looks back, I just kind of picture them stopping. and just, like, just kind of acting like, hey, "What are you? I, we're, just, we're, just, we're just walking. We're just walking like you. But after a couple of times he looks back, he finally says to them, what are you guys looking for? What are you seeing? He's almost like, can I help you? (laughs) That's what I sort of pictured. I don't know if exactly that's how it was. It probably wasn't quite like that. But I do see a very sheepish demeanor about these two early disciples. They're kind of hanging back. They're curious. They don't know what to think about him. They're hearing some things being said about him. John's telling them, hey, that's the guy. That's the guy. You should follow him. And they're like, is it? We don't know. Let's just follow and just kind of see. They're curious they're skeptical, but they're intrigued. And so they wanna have a conversation with them, but they don't really know what to do. So they just kind of follow at a distance. It's as if they really, maybe they wanted to know where you're staying because maybe they're thinking, we have a lot of questions. You know, maybe he turns to them and says, what are you seeking? And they just go, uh, 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 where are you staying? Maybe that's just an awkward answer. Or maybe they're saying, what are we seeking? I don't know where to start. I, I'm, my mind is filled, I'm confused. I've, we have so many thoughts. Where are you staying? Can we hang with you the rest of the day? Or maybe they're offering to find lodging for them. We don't exactly know, but something about this response is them saying, we wanna spend some time with you. We, we, need to, we, need, we have questions. Where are you staying? Possibly they have so many questions and they're kind of stuck, and they're confused, and so they're sitting there together just going, we, we, we need to have as much time with you as we possibly can because we don't, we don't know who you are. We don't know what we should be looking for. Maybe they don't even have an answer to what they're seeking. Maybe they have a lot of questions. Maybe they don't know, have any questions. Maybe they don't know what they're even seeking. Regardless, I think the question that Jesus asked them, what are you seeking? I think this is a fantastic question. It's an amazing question he asked them. He wastes no time in making an impact in their curious minds even. There's all, already some intrigue. He's saying, what do you guys want? How can I help you? First thing he does is he looks to Simon and he says, hey, you're, you're Simon? I've got a new name for you. Your name now is Peter. and Peter means rock. And Peter is, we're going to see as we continue through John, he's, he kind of ends up being a bit of a bumbling fool from from time to time, opens his big mouth and inserts his big foot inside of his mouth. We see that a lot. But yet Jesus knows from the beginning what Peter would become. And so Jesus says, your name now is the rock. You're Peter. Peter would eventually become a solid leader among the disciples, a leader among the early church. But let's continue in the text here to see how the story unfolds. It says in verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So they're from the same little village. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We've found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote of Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth is the one that the Old Testament, the Bible talks about. This is the guy, the son of Joseph. Now, Nathanael said to him, He's saying, Are you kidding me? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? There's no way someone from Nazareth is the Savior. Now Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him, and Jesus said to Nathaniel, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. That's high praise coming from the king of kings. In verse 48, Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? They'd never met before. And Jesus is talking about his character, and Nathaniel's like, How do you know who I am? Jesus answered him, Behold, or he says, Before Philip even called you, before your friend Philip went and said, Hey, come see this guy, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, which again means teacher, you are the Son of God. Nathaniel has a quick 180. At first, he's going, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And all of a sudden, Jesus makes this statement about him sitting under the fig tree. And all of a sudden, at his heart changes. He goes, you must be God. So something significant happened in this statement. You're the king of Israel, he says. Jesus answered him, so because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, you do believe? He says, guess what? You're going to see greater things than these. And then he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now I want to show you just a few pictures just to kind of show you where we're headed here, where Jesus is traveling from. So this first picture here is a uh, map. Um, you see that, that lower right red dot uh, is where we were at the baptismal site uh, near Jericho. And uh, Jesus decides to travel 70 miles north to the Sea of Galilee region. That'd be that upper left uh, dot. I'll show you a couple pictures of uh, the Sea of Galilee just to kind of give you a picture, because we saw before some of the bad lands of the Judean wilderness. Uh, you saw how desert-like that was. Well, now you're gonna see the difference between where they were and now where they're headed. Uh, so this next picture you see uh, just a, a great shot of really what's the north coast of the Sea of Galilee. This is um, right near the Mount of Beatitudes as we call it today. Um, Right near Capernaum, which is very close, probably within a mile of about where this uh, uh, this meeting between Jesus and Nathaniel and Philip took place. Uh, now, if you uh, go to the, the next slide, there's just a picture of my family on the shoreline, so you can kind of get a picture of what it would have looked like as they're walking along the shore. There, uh, very grassy, very green, uh, and this is and and this spot with my family here is also about roughly probably a mile from about probably where this uh, transaction took place, where Jesus is interacting with these men. Now, Galilee, as beautiful as it is, it's generally actually looked down upon by those from Judea, which is in the south, near Jerusalem. Galileans up north were kind of seen as more uneducated, sort of redneck types, farmers, country bumpkins, and that's where Jesus is actually from. He grew up in Nazareth, a little village, kind of nowhere, kind of a place, so it's kind of, the attitude is sort of similar, maybe how, you know, big city metro folks here in America, we'd, maybe New York, Los Angeles, look down upon Midwesterners. Uh, maybe they kind of turn their noses up at them, you know, the farmers, country folks, uneducated rednecks. Well, we call them the flyover states because they're no good to visit. We just fly over them to go to the big cities. So it's kind of like that. And even myself, you know, I, I grew up in Los Angeles until I was 14 and moved to one of the flyover states. And uh, I remember having, at, at 14, kind of that attitude. Uh, but now I look back, and, um, and I'm, I'm very thankful for the time that I, I, I spent. Uh, I love that my family heritage is, is deep within the flyover states. But it's really no surprise that God chose for his son to be born of a kingly heritage line from King David. Jesus is born in a, a royal line of kings of, of Israel and born, actually, in a kingly town of Bethlehem, But God had him sovereignly moved to this place up north where no one good comes from. God specifically had his own son be raised in a nowhere kind of a place, raised in obscurity, in this nothing town. Apparently, even though Galilee itself, the whole region, is looked down upon by Judea, Nazareth is even looked down upon by Galilee so Nazareth is like the lowest of the lows, apparently. Even Galileans who are looked down upon say, Nazareth, there's nothing that good comes out of there. So Nazareth had a bad reputation for some reason. And so now we're here in Galilee, and people are hearing about this Jesus. Some guys are saying, hey, this, this guy, he's, this is the Messiah. This is the Savior. And these people are going, from Nazareth? Are you kidding me? There's no way. There's no way this is the guy. But Philip says to Nathaniel. Why don't you just come take a look? Why don't you just see for yourself? And then as Nathaniel's approaching Jesus, Jesus says, an Israelite of whom there's no deceit. He's saying, you're an upright man. You're a good moral Israelite. That's a great thing to have Jesus say about you. Nathaniel then says, you don't know me. What, what, are, you, what are you talking about? And that's when Jesus has this answer. He goes, look, before your friend Philip came and told you to come listen to me, I saw you under that fig tree, and that shocks Nathaniel, and this is when he is, his heart turns. Now we don't know exactly what this fig tree moment meant to Nathaniel, but it was something apparently that Jesus could not have or should not have known about. Maybe it's possible that Nathaniel, who we know is a pretty upright Israelite, probably a pretty righteous guy, probably knows the Old Testament, knows the Word of God, he prays he's probably a pretty good uh, Jewish follower. Maybe he had a favorite place to seclude to underneath a fig tree. Maybe he had this particular fig tree where he would go and he would pray every day and this is the place where he would go to meet with God. Uh, Maybe it was something like that or maybe there was just a a moment in his life where he uh, was going through something really tough and just ran out and and found this random fig tree. Maybe it wasn't a favorite place he'd go to all the time, but maybe it was just this random fig tree where he cried out to the Lord in pain and in anguish over something in his life and no one was around. And so now Jesus comes along and he says, I know about that fig tree. Whatever it is, we don't know what it is, but whatever it is, there's something special about Nathaniel and his affinity for this particular fig tree. Something that only God should know. I assume that it's probably a place of prayer of some sort because only God should be able to hear the things that are coming out of Nathanael's heart underneath that fig tree. And here Jesus comes along and says, I know about the fig tree. And this something happened where Nathanael just goes, there's no way you can know that unless you're the one I've been praying to. Unless you're the one who heard my prayers. And all of a sudden he goes from you don't know me, nothing good comes out of Nazareth to you must be God. You're the only one who knows about that fig tree. So whatever it is there, something catches him off guard. Now, God has a way of drawing us, of getting our attention really when we least expect it. It's a way that he does that's often confusing or perplexing. We can't quite explain it as we go through it or when in the midst of it. We're just going, I don't, something's going on in my life. I don't really know what it is, but we're searching through life, maybe looking for meaning or purpose or fulfillment or satisfaction or we're looking for love or joy or peace. And it's like that song, looking for love in all the wrong places. We're just looking in all these places to find fulfillment and satisfaction, but nothing settles. Nothing settles. And we're just kind of wandering and we come up dry, we come up empty. Maybe, Maybe you actually get what you're chasing after. Maybe you get the notoriety, Maybe you get the the money or whatever it is and and you find yourself unsatisfied. Or maybe satisfied but just for a moment and then all of a sudden the shine sort of wears off and you're looking for the next shiny object. And for many of us there comes a day or maybe it's a a season of life, a few months or something where something seems to be drawing you. Now, as I mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm talking to both people who already are following Jesus and I'm looking in the room, I know you guys. You guys are followers of Jesus. And there's also some that maybe you're not yet or you're thinking about it, but this is for all of us. Because no matter where you're at in your life, whether you're following Jesus right now or not, there's gonna be times when Jesus is drawing you and he's drawing you either away from something, away from some particular sin or doubt or fear, and there's kind of this hesitancy where you're going, I don't know if I can follow I don't know if I can go after him. He calls you out. And so whether you're already a believer or if you're not or you're not sure yet, this is for all of us. You want something. There's a longing inside of you. There's something that you're going after. There's a need that you want to fill, an empty void that isn't being satisfied. And you think maybe that you know what you want. You think you know what will make you happy, but either you've gained it and it hasn't satisfied, or you actually don't even know what it is yet, and so you don't know where to go, so you're just kind of wandering, looking for something. And now, this this tug in your heart, this curiosity, you find yourself maybe thinking more about your own existence, or purpose, or meaning, and you find yourself all of a sudden interested in God, and faith, and wondering if you ought to maybe look into that and follow Him. But when you think about God, and when you think about Jesus, like these disciples, you sort of Follow slowly behind, maybe a bit sheepish. You just want to observe from a distance. You're not sure what life would be like if you let go of this particular thing that you've been holding on to or if you stop chasing that thing that you've been accustomed to chasing after. So you kind of walk at a distance. Well, what would it mean? What would it be like to actually follow Jesus? I'm not really sure. So how about I just observe from a distance? But before too long, you also have to answer this question as if God himself is asking you, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? Maybe you don't know the answer to that question. But I think it's a question that you need to ask or maybe be asked. If you find yourself in a situation where there's a bit of a battle going on inside of you, you want answers, you want to find what you're seeking, but your flesh, your current life, your current desires that are on in your mind and your heart, they're they're warring against it. Your body and 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 what you've told yourself and taught yourself so many years is well, yeah, that's neat, that's cute, this whole God thing, but you don't really need that. You're fine without it. That's what that's the war going on inside. You're following from a distance, going, should I follow him or should I follow this? Should I follow my own heart? There's this battle now going on inside of you. But when that battle is actually going on, when that wrestling match begins, it's as if you're coming face to face with God himself. And if you have the guts, more or less, to answer the question, to really sit down and answer the question thoughtfully, what are you seeking? If you're able to actually engage in that conversation, it's the beginning, I believe, of God beginning to reveal himself to you. Jesus coming into your life, or maybe for the believer, a part of your life that maybe you previously didn't allow him into. He wants to show you who he is, what he's done for you. He wants to show you who you are and show you your deep need for him. And soon enough, it becomes undeniable that God truly is trying to get your attention. And I see this in the conversation with Nathaniel. See, he doubts at first. Nathaniel's seeking something as well. He's a righteous Israelite. He's a good person. He's moral. He's upright. He's honorable. He's got good character. He, he's looking for something. He, he knows that there's life to be found in being a good person or something. Or he's trying to please God. Nathaniel's looking for something. He believes in the word of God. Says, why he's a blameless man. He follows after God. So no doubt, because he knows God's word, he knows that God's word also promises that a savior will someday come to save him from his own sin. But when he was told that it was a Nazarene, someone from Nazareth, that ghetto Nazareth, when he was told that, even the most upright Israelite has a sense of pride and arrogance and says, what? I'm not following a Nazarene. Are you kidding me? So even the most upright Jew, the most upright follower of God, still has pride and arrogance and self-righteousness in his heart, has blind spots, has a need to be saved from his own sin. Church, I need a Savior. I need a Savior. Nathanael needed a Savior, but he's saying, there's no way I'm following Nazarene. For us, for me, I can say, I need a Savior, but... Am I willing to follow this this guy, Jesus, from 2,000 years ago? I've never met. I can't see him. He seemed like just a poor carpenter boy. Or do I want a God who's big and powerful in my own eyes? A God who's going to be like a genie in a bottle who's going to give me everything I want. So we all need a Savior, but it's a matter of what are we seeking? What What are we wanting from that Savior What do we expect that he should give us or or will give us or what we need? And even the best of the best, the good moral people who are doing their best to be good people, still at the end of the day have sin in their hearts. We hate to admit it, but we do. Each and every one of us has to be saved from our sin, and Jesus being merciful, he engages in this internal wrestling match with Nathaniel, rather than knowing his Thoughts and going, oh, you got something against Nazarenes? Well, peace out. I'm going to go find someone else to save. No, Jesus doesn't do that. He engages with them. He doesn't care if Nathaniel has some kind of prejudice against his hometown. He says, hey, listen, I I knew you from before Philip even called you. He shows mercy and grace to Nathaniel, even though he knows he has got prejudice in his heart. And he speaks directly to the heart of Nathaniel. Somehow Jesus touches something in Nathaniel's heart that only Nathaniel can know. And in our walk with God, in our pursuit and finding truth, or in our desire to actually know God, it begins with some kind of confusion, some kind of struggle, with us kind of coming to terms with what we're seeking and who we'd actually seek it from, what we really want out of life. But that struggle and pursuit starts to feel kind of like a tractor beam or a magnetic pole that's pulling us towards it, even though we're trying to stay at a distance a bit, trying to walk back and just, you know, not, no, nothing to see here, but all of a sudden, the closer we get, the more we press in, the more we're being drawn to this. Suddenly, there's things that are starting to occur in your heart and your thoughts, things that are being revealed to you that are brand new, and you think to yourself, like Nathaniel, I think this is God. I think this is God. Or as Nathaniel said, truly, you are Jesus. You are the Son of God. Something about Jesus' answer made it clear to Nathanael that he was indeed being pursued by God himself. Uh, This week, I had one of my uh, uh, baseball players texted me, and uh, he'd been wrestling with some things, um, a recent death uh, in his life that started stirring his heart uh, quite a bit, uh, causing him to think more deeply just about life and essentially him questioning what he was truly seeking in life. So very much... Uh, like these disciples here. We chatted over text uh, for a little bit and uh, about God and faith and how to truly know God and how do we know his purposes, how do we know what he's doing. And we got together on, on Tuesday, and uh, this guy, he's, he's a great conversationalist. Uh, I love uh, just talking with him. Uh, he, he gets it from his dad, who's also a great conversationalist. We've just kind of been knit to the heart um, and between me and him and his dad, who joined us later on in the conversation, uh, we, you know, we spent five hours together just discussing God and faith and uh, knowing God. And um, it was just a, an awesome, awesome Tuesday afternoon. Uh, but one of the things I shared with them was that uh, as God begins to draw us, it starts off a bit confusing, just like we're seeing with these guys maybe frustrating and overwhelming, and it's like almost like learning a foreign language. You're, you're looking at this big, thick book, and you're kind of learning words you don't really know, and you're going, I, I don't know. I'm just going to maybe walk at, at a distance. But when faced with the words of Jesus, you must be born again. Who do you say that I am? What are you seeking? Those words, you have to ask yourself, what am I seeking? What do I want? What do I really believe about all this? And I was talking about when I was 18, how the Lord caught me off guard, and I was minding my own business. Surely didn't want to be bothered by God. <laughs> and uh, I was close to his age. He's going to be 16 in about a month. I was 18 at the time. and um, But yeah, I just minding my own business and totally caught off guard. Uh, my, my aunt, who lived in Orange County, I was living up in Los Angeles, my aunt showed me some verses in the Bible. Actually, some of the same verses are the ones I, I shared with him on Tuesday. And um, some of these verses, they, they caught my attention because I had never really I'd never really read the Bible. I didn't really know what was in there. I kind of made up my own belief about who I think God is and how good he is and what he thinks about me. I, it was just all made up up here. Like I was creating my own version of God. My version of God was not based on God's word. It was based on Joby's word. And so my aunt's showing me some of these verses in the Bible that I never knew were in there. And they started getting my attention. And even though I was trying to get these things out of my mind, but, but the thing I was telling them that, uh, uh, that I, I, I try to do sometimes with people, but, and these, these truths become, is they become like a little pebble in your shoe. And so I would go to my aunt, and, and she would, she'd show me some of these verses, and, and I'm walking away going, hmm, I don't really know, to, I don't want to believe that, but it's like a pebble in your shoe. I'm walking, and it's just bothering me. I can't get it out of my head. And when these things happen, these truths, what are you seeking? You must be born again, These things we just go, oh, that's that's nice, but I don't really I don't I don't know if I really wanna fall. I just wanna stay at a distance and kind of have marginal interest. But this pebble in the shoe just bothers you. And at some point you have to deal with it. You have to answer the question: what am I seeking? What do I believe about being born again? What do I I gotta do something with it, otherwise it's just gonna bother you and live free rent in your mind. And so I was telling him how when God specifically puts himself in the forefront of your mind, it, it can be very overwhelming. And I remember that, too, at age 18, this being very overwhelming. I mean, I was just out of high school trying to figure out my career, trying to figure out college. Uh, I was 1,700 miles from, from my parents and from you know, um, all my, my high school friends. I was just kind of alone. It was very overwhelming. And in some ways, I wanted just to ignore it and move on, but I found myself with that pebble in the shoe, That's what I was telling him. It just seems to me like he's got this pebble in his shoe because we've had some on and off conversations over the last year. And I think that's a good thing. I think it's a good thing when these things bother us and we just have to wrestle with them. I think wrestling with truth and wrestling with God is is a good thing. I found for myself that when I wrestled with God, I lost and I'm glad I lost. For myself, in my wrestling match at age 18, God gave me as I wrestled and dealt with that pebble in the shoe, God gave me the faith to see that He is indeed real, that it really was Him pursuing me. I wasn't pursuing Him, I wasn't out looking for God, but He, he found me. And he, he brought my aunt into my life, and she showed me these verses and put these pebbles in my shoe, and they bothered me, and I couldn't just walk from a distance anymore. It's as if my aunt was saying, Come and see. Come and see. And then as I approach Jesus, I'm getting closer. He's, what are you seeking? I didn't really know what I was seeking. But then he started basically just being able to speak to my heart in a way that only he could. It wasn't a fig tree kind of a thing. But eventually I come to realize Jesus really is God. He really is the Savior, and I need him. I'm lost without him i got to deal with this pebble in the shoe. And I came to know. Jesus gave me that gift of faith to actually see my eyes were open. I was born again in that moment. He revealed to me who he is and who I was and who I was without him, and that wasn't good news. Now, here's what Nathaniel and Simon Peter and Andrew didn't know and what I didn't know at age 18. Jesus was sent specifically with their names and my name in his heart. He was sent to this earth with the purpose of finding them and saving them, finding me and saving me. He came to open their eyes and open my eyes and save us. They didn't follow Jesus because they were smarter than the rest or more desirable than the rest or because they were working so hard at being a good person. No, even Nathaniel, the upright Israelite, had his own arrogance. And yet, even though he despises Nazarenes, Jesus still had mercy on him. These men were being drawn because God the Father sent his son Jesus to save those that God had mercifully written, it says in the Bible, written in the book of life before the earth was even created. Look what Jesus says back in the book of John. Before before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. See, before Philip invited Nathanael to come to Jesus, Jesus already saw him. Jesus didn't have to see him in person and say, hey, I'm going to go save that guy. I'm going to go reveal myself as God to that guy. No, Jesus is arriving in Galilee going, let's see. I've um, got to find Nathanael. He's on my list. I've got to find this guy. I've come to save these people. But Nathanael didn't know that. Before my aunt showed me the scriptures in the book of Romans that caught my attention at age 18, Jesus had already chosen to save me. He appointed that day for my aunt to show me those scriptures and put that pebble in my shoe. This is because God the Father was drawing me to him, even though I didn't know it. I was caught in that tractor beam. And you, for those of you who say that you you follow Jesus, what event or what, what person in your life brought you or pointed you to Jesus for the first time? Think about it. Think back. Go down that trip down memory lane. And you think about that person, maybe that encounter you had. Well, guess what? Before that even happened, Jesus had already decided to save you. He didn't just see how you'd respond in that moment and say, oh, that was a good response. I'll save you. I'll call you mine. I'll adopt you. No, he said, I've already got you in my heart, so I'm going to put this person in your life to draw you to me. Jesus says this in John chapter 15, later, we'll get to probably in a few months, quite a few, quite a few months. John 15, 16, Jesus says, you didn't choose me, I chose you, and I appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. See, this drawing goes on in our hearts, it feels confusing and mysterious, because it is indeed actually Mysterious. A bit later on in the story, Peter finally sees who Jesus truly is. Remember, he's kind of hanging back a little bit, saying, hey, where are you staying? A little bit later on in the story, we're going to see that Peter finally actually sees that Jesus really is the Savior. He's the Son of God. And Jesus knows that in this, this is the final step, really, for Peter of the seeking and drawing process. Peter's been intrigued. He's been interested. He's been following. And finally, at the end of the tractor beam, so to speak, Peter says, you really are the Christ, the Savior. The story itself in Matthew chapter 16 says, Jesus answered him to to Peter when Peter said, you are the son of God. Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, for flesh and blood, your own ability, your body, your brain, flesh and blood, that's not how you figured this out. That's not revealed this to you, but my Father is in heaven. He's the one who revealed this to you. You've been drawn by him you are not looking for me. He revealed himself to you. This great news comes with a promise, too. In John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus says, no one can actually come to me unless the Father who sent me draws that person to me. And the promise is that I will raise that person up on the last day. He's saying to Nathanael, look, the reason you came to me is because my Father drew you to me. But guess what, Nathaniel, even though you doubted, even though you had some prejudice against me, because you're being drawn to me, I'm going to save you and I'm going to hold you and I'm going to raise you up at the end of your life. You're going to have eternal life because my father gave you to me. It is in God's sovereign power that does the drawing of us, but it's also in his sovereign power that keeps us. He draws us and we're confused. We wrestle, we doubt, we aren't sure. Maybe we push against it a bit and... For those of us who eventually do see, as Nathaniel and Peter declared, I do believe now Jesus is the Savior. I need him. For those who have finally and definitely realized that Jesus is God, he says to us, you're born again today because my father drew you to me. My Father choose to save you and give you new life, and I will keep you until the end. I will never let go of you. I'll raise you up on the last day. You'll be with me in paradise forever and ever. I won't give up on you, even though you might give up on me. Also in John chapter 6, Jesus says, All that my Father gives me, every person that my Father gives to me, they're going to come to me because he appointed it. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast them out. I'll never turn them away. I'm never going to let go of them. I'm never going to give up on them. Now, for those of you who are wrestling or you're wondering, again, I'm talking to both believers and those of you who don't yet believe in Jesus or follow Jesus. Believers, we can wrestle with God as well. We can wonder a bit what God is doing in our life. All of us wrestle with the work of God in our life. We all end up being confused at times. We don't know what our next step is. You don't know how to come to that place of finding what you're seeking. And again, in John chapter 6, verse 28, people said to Jesus, so what do we do? What's our next step? What do we do to do the works of God? How do I actually serve God? What do I have to do to to find what I'm seeking? Is essentially what they're asking. And Jesus answered them, and he says this, you want to know what to do next? You want to know what your next step is? You want to know what the work of God is? He says it's that you just believe in the one that God has sent. And Jesus is talking about himself. You want to know what your next step is? You're seeking. You you're want to know the work of God. How do, I, how do I follow God? What's the works of God? He says, this is the work of God. Believe in me. Put your trust in me. Admit, confess that you're a a sinner that needs to be saved. Come to me. I won't cast you out. My Father will adopt you because of what I've done for you. Believe in me. Friends, your next step, every single one of you, every single one, believer, non-believer, whatever, your next step is to believe. It's to believe. Believe that you've sinned. Even if you're like Nathaniel, upright citizen, very good person, Admit that you've sinned against God and that you're helpless to save yourself or to bribe him or convince him that he should let you in. Believe that it's him that's actually drawing you. Believe that it's God who sent his son to this earth to take on the punishment that you deserve for your sin. And believe that it's Jesus who then gives you that that trade. He gives you his life, his righteousness. And this section here ends with the great promise. In verse 50, Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. This is why you believe? Well, guess what? You're going to see greater things than that. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you'll see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Nathanael was astounded that Jesus could speak so intimately to him and about him. But now it's as if Jesus is saying, you think that's kind of cool? It's like, wait till you see what I got next. This is just the beginning. You think that was good? It just gets better if you follow me. You come follow me, you're gonna see so much better things than just this little fig tree thing. That's nothing. That's just the beginning of a life filled with seeing God move in your life, finding that joy, that satisfaction, that peace that we're looking for, that we're seeking, finally finding what we've been seeking He's like, this is just the beginning. That's nothing compared to what I've got. You're going to see so much more. And he specifically has this, this here, this saying here, that you're going to see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man, which is a title for himself. This is a reference to Jacob, who incidentally actually did wrestle with God. But Jacob, this is years and years before Jesus, Jacob, whom the Israelites, like Nathaniel. They esteemed Jacob as the father of Israel, and Jacob was actually renamed Israel. Jacob's name became Israel. And so they would esteem Jacob. So he knows what he's talking about. Nathanael knows what Jesus is referencing. He's talking about angels and descending and ascending, coming down. He knows the story from the Old Testament. It's a clear reference that Nathanael would have been shocked by. But Jesus is saying, look, the fig tree, that's nothing. You know how your father, Jacob, or Israel, saw the power and blessing of heaven come down to a certain location, a place called Bethel. That's where Jacob saw uh, this particular vision. He goes, guess what? That same power that Jacob saw, angels coming to and fro from heaven to earth at Bethel, that same thing you're going to see, but it's not come to a a special place. It's not going to be going to your special fig tree. You don't have to do certain things in order to see the work of God in your life. Go to Bethel, go to the fig tree, do these certain actions. No, you're going to see the power of God descend and ascend from me. It's me, come follow me, know me, and you're gonna see the power of God. It's not found in a place or an action or some religious duty or anything. It's found in a person. The glory of God is found in a person, and that person is Jesus Christ, the one who God sent, the one who God said, believe in him. God said, I've given you my son, believe in him. All of my blessing and honor and glory is now given to him. And Jesus is saying, you think this fig tree thing is cool? And come follow me. All the things you're going to seek, peace and joy, eternal life, true satisfaction, it's not found at Bethel. It's not found by doing certain works, becoming a better person, sitting under your, your special fig tree. It's not found by being an upright individual like Nathaniel and making yourself better. That's not how you find satisfaction and joy and peace. It's not found in those things. No, it's found in me. It's found in me. You come to me. I'm, I'm the fountain of life. The blessing and power and glory of God in your life is found in me and knowing me and trusting me, believing in me, Jesus says, and putting your faith in me. And friends, I'd like to just... Exhort you all, every single one of us, to today call upon the name of the Lord. For the parts of your life that you're feeling some anxiety, some worry, some doubt, some fear, some confusion, again, whether you're a believer, you've been following the Lord for 20 years, or if you're at the beginning of this journey, I'm saying we all need to call upon the Lord and not start asking ourselves, what are we seeking Will we follow Jesus? Will we surrender? Will we do the work of God, which is believing in Jesus, surrendering our life to him, knowing that he will never turn us away? I want to pray now and thank the Lord for these promises and these truths that we have been given in his word. And, um, and I do just want to invite... Um, any of you, I mean, if you're, if you're listening uh, at home right now, you know, I know there's, uh, we're all in different spots, you know, and a few weeks ago we did, uh, I think it was Easter, maybe the, the week after we had that, that ABC thing, you know, A is, you know, you're, you're a believer, uh, but maybe you've been wandering a bit, been wandering, been maybe following Jesus at a distance, kind of cutting some corners not following him the way that you know you should, not trusting him the way you should. If that's you, uh, whether it's, maybe it's, uh, you know, you email me or you put it there on the live chat, but you can just type out, a. Hey, uh, I've been following, but not very good. And I want to, uh, I want to follow. I, I want to I find what I'm seeking for. Or maybe it's B. B is where you're like, I, I think I'm a believer. I'm not sure. Uh, I thought I was. But I need to know. I need to find out. I I need to figure this thing out, and then C is maybe I know I'm not. I know I'm definitely not a believer. I never have been. Never thought I would be. But today, I'm. I think I'm seeing that Jesus is the Son of God, but I do need a Savior. So again, if it's through the live chat, there just typing that in, or if it's through sending me an email, or whatever it might be, or just pondering in your own heart. Uh, But A, you're a believer, but you just kind of you're off track a little bit. B. You're not sure if you are, but you want to know for sure. And then see, you're definitely not, but you want to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come to you and even call you Father. There's a time in our lives when you were our judge. And we knew that we would stand before you. We look back and know that we would stand before you and be judged by you for our sin. But even as a judge, you did the improbable in sending your very own perfect son to this earth, and he instead would be punished for our sin. You would judge him instead of us. And you would call us now your sons and daughters. Though we weren't before, we were enemies. with Our backs turned to you. And he did this because you were satisfied with how your son acted and lived and what he accomplished here. He lived perfectly and he went to the cross and was punished for our sin. And you approved of that payment. And because of that now, we can have this promise of eternal life. We've taken part in that great exchange that scandalous exchange where we get something for nothing. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness towards us, your mercy towards us. God, would you have mercy on our lives for those of us who are wandering. Help us find peace for those that don't yet know you. God, would you open their eyes Show them who you are. Show them how much you love them. We thank you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.